We are going to be in Joshua chapter 6 this morning as we continue uh, looking at the, the, the going through the book of Joshua. Of course, you know, the kids are doing the Bible bowl study in Joshua. And uh, we're in Joshua 6. I know they're in Joshua 9, somewhere around there. So we've got a little ways to catch up to them. Uh, but we want to uh, look at this account in Joshua 6, which is one of the more famous accounts in this book. But there's going to be a little bit of a twist as far as the lesson here this evening. You know, there's been a lot of, uh, you know, curses throughout history. Uh, maybe you've heard of the curse of the Hope Diamond. You know, this was this great big blue uh, diamond who originally was in India uh, that was, was supposedly stolen. And as, you know, it got passed through different individuals or bought and sold or stolen or passed through uh, different individuals, there was this supposed curse on this diamond that whoever held it, or whoever had possession of it, that bad things happened to them. You know, it, there was a time when uh, it was within the, the grasp of royalty in France, and some of those individuals who had possession of it lost their lives. Uh, as of now, it's in the Smithsonian here in the United States. Uh, but there are these many different tales of people who have had this diamond, uh, estimated value of two to $300 million, to, to have you know, bad luck happen to them. You know, there, there are a lot of curses within uh, athletics as well. Probably the, one of the most famous ones is the curse of the Billy Goat. Uh, you remember this one, the Chicago Cubs? Uh, they hadn't won a World Series since 1908, and they're there in 1945, and there's this man uh, who's a, a tavern owner, and he's there at the game with his Billy Goat, and they are asked or basically escorted out of Wrigley Stadium. And because of that, he was upset, he was mad, and he said, them Cubs, they ain't never going to win no more. And because of that, there was a supposed curse on the team, and it wasn't until 2016, which they, you know, they finally broke the curse. They finally won the World Series. You know, one that I'm more familiar with, and probably you're not, uh, but because the Detroit Lions are my favorite football team, there's the curse of Bobby Lane. You know, maybe that's not a name that you're familiar with, but he was the quarterback for the Detroit Lions in the 50s, and he was one of the best players in the NFL at that time. And Detroit Lions actually used to win championships. This was before the Super Bowl area, but in the 50s, uh, they used to win championships, and they won the title in 57. And two games into the, the, the 58 season, he was traded away. Uh, for no apparent reason at all. And he was so mad. He was so hot about that, that he declared that the team will not win for another 50 years. Well, here we are some 60 plus years later, and they still have not even reached a Super Bowl. Right? Uh, but, but most curses, you know, they can be easily explained or over time it can be shown to be a coincidence. Right. The Chicago Cubs finally won that World Series. But there's an interesting account in Joshua chapter 6 that we're going to look at tonight uh, of, of a curse, an often forgotten curse that takes place at the conclusion of this victory of the city of Jericho. You know, again, when we think of Joshua chapter 6, we recall the story of Jericho uh, where, where the Israelites go in and they, uh, the walls come tumbling down, right? Uh, that's a story that we, t we tell our young kids uh, in Bible class. But at the conclusion of this, uh, this victory, uh, Joshua places a curse upon uh, some individuals that will later attempt to rebuild this city. And this is going to take some 500 years into in the, the, the future. 
And the, the 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 34, which we'll look at in a minute, uh, this curse is going to take effect. Uh, this man by the name of Heel, uh, he's a Bethelite, and he's going to suffer the consequences of this curse. Uh, of this curse. And so what we want to do tonight, again, is we're going to take a look at this account and then we're going to look at some lessons that we can learn from 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 heal and hopefully, uh, you know, uh, take uh, some of these lessons to heart. So, again, uh, as we've been studying through the book of Joshua, uh, we remember in Joshua chapters three, four and five that the Israelites, they cross over the Jordan River. Uh, God miraculously stops the waters that they can walk across and they are preparing for the quest. They're going into the promised land. Remember in chapter uh, 4, they, they built that monument of those 12 stones to be a memorial for the people or a reminder for them. In chapter 5 that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, uh, they rededicate themselves to God. Uh, the men uh, are circumcised once again because they quit uh, practicing that while they were in the wilderness. And Joshua, he's preparing, he's surveying Jericho, he's preparing for battle plans. And remember, he's visited by deity. He's, he's, he's visited by the captain of the hosts of the Lord. And then we get to Joshua chapter 6. And the Israelites are about ready to go and take on the first uh, of the cities. And this, of course, is Jericho. God instructs them, uh, as we recall in this account, to march around the city for six straight days. Uh, this includes the men of war and the priests. And then he selects seven priests in particular that they're going to carry these trumpets that are made of ram's horns. And they're going to go before the Ark of the Covenant as they circle around Jericho again one time for, for the first six days. And even Joshua commands them in verse 10 that they are to remain quiet uh, while doing this. Now they're, they're going to be blowing the trumpet, but they are not to shout. They are not to yell. They are not to make any sounds. But we recall that on the seventh day, the seventh day, that they were to march around the city not once, but seven times. Now, they were also instructed not to take anything from the city that was under the ban. Things made of gold and silver and bronze and iron, those things were going to be the first fruits of victory. Those were going to be put in God's treasury. They weren't to keep those things, but everything else they were to utterly destroy, except for Rahab the harlot and her household. Remember back in Joshua chapter 2, she hid the spies that Joshua sent in uh, by faith. And so because of that, her household was going to be spared during this battle. And so on the seventh trip, you know, that seventh day, they circle around Jericho seven times. And Joshua gives them the command. He says, for the Lord has given you the city. And they make that great shout and the walls come tumbling down and the people easily advance into Jericho and they utterly destroy everything. Again, they, they evacuate Rahab and her family and they burn the city with fire. And again, only the items uh, under the ban were again, they were put into the treasury of the Lord. But notice in Joshua chapter six. Verse 26. So this is going to be our key verse uh, this evening. In Joshua chapter 6, verse 26, Joshua makes an oath with the people after the battle, after the victory. It says, Then Joshua made them take an oath at the time, saying, Cursed before the Lord is the man who rises up and builds this city Jericho. With the loss of his firstborn, he shall lay its foundation. And with the loss of his youngest son, he shall set up its city's gates. You know, this, this curse, this is very specific that Joshua gives. 
for the man who is attempting to rebuild the city, you know, laying its foundation, he's going to lose his firstborn. And for the man who, who, uh, who sets up the gates, meaning he completes the mission because that's the last thing you're going to do in this construction process, he's going to have the loss of his youngest son. You know, again, very specific. Well, let's go about 500 years into the future. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 16 because we're going to notice that this actually plays out. In 1 Kings chapter 16. You know, and if you're someone who uh, mark, likes to mark in your Bible, uh, you know, to write little things on it, note things, you know, this might be a good thing to connect Joshua 6, 26 with 1 Kings 16, verse 34. Because we notice here in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 34, it reads, In the days, in his days, Heel, the Bethelite, built Jericho. He laid its foundations with the loss of Abiram, his firstborn, and set up its gates with the loss of his youngest son, Segub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. Heal the, the Bethelite, rebuilt Jericho. Uh, based off of that curse, again, uh, he, his firstborn son was lost and his, his youngest son uh, died as well. And we're told if we were to read the full context of this, uh, especially verses 28 through the end of the chapter, that, you know, he's living during the king, the reign of King Ahab. And King Ahab, we know in Scripture, it was one of the kings who was one of the worst and most evil kings. Remember, he married Jezebel. Uh, she is not taken uh, very well also in Scripture. And the Bible says even in verse 33 that he did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. And this was, again, was a wicked king. But, but why a curse? Why did Joshua place this curse on uh, Jericho? You know, what he was probably most likely doing was going back to the words of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 12 through 16, when Moses gave the instructions to the people that, you know, when you go into these lands and you find out that the people are serving other gods, uh, if they're following false idols, that you are to strike them down, the inhabitants of the city, and just utterly destroy it. It shall be a ruin, never to be rebuilt again. And it's almost as if Joshua gave his own uh, Billy Goat curse flair by adding uh, what he did to this curse, the loss of the man's first and, and last born. Well, we know in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30, that Joshua chapter 6 uh, makes it into the hall of faith. Again, Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down, again, being encircled those seven times. And the focus of Joshua chapter six, you know, is the faithfulness of Israel trusting in God. You know, no matter how minute the details or bizarre it may seem to them, you know, to circle around uh, that city seven times. Uh, you know, that's the story that we can learn from Joshua chapter six. But uh, what I want us to focus more on this more or this evening is some lessons we can learn from heal and the curse of Jericho. So uh, the first thing I want to no notice is that um, there is danger in ignorance. Now, I'm going to give you four points this evening. These four points are not original from me, but uh, these are from Alan Webster, who is uh, one of the authors of the House of the House publications. And all those tracks we have out in the back wall are, have been written by him. And so these are his four points that he gives uh, from this lesson. And the, the first one, again, we can learn a lesson that there is danger in ignorance. You know, he'll, uh, he could have been uh, of course, ignorant of this warning, of this curse. You know, maybe he grew up in a family where the scriptures were not read. 
You know, maybe he slept during class that day when it was being taught. And maybe he was misbehaving as well and had to be taken out. Or maybe he was just sick that day when the, the class was studying Joshua chapter 6, verse 26. But also as well, uh, we could think that, uh, you know, why did no one care enough to warn him uh, when he started building on that old Jericho site? You know, and we can fall into... Uh, this sort of mindset as well as when we see individuals uh, doing what they should not be doing, that uh, we could say something to the effect of, well, I'm sure he's read about Joshua's curse. You know, he's made up his mind. It's none of my business anyway. Uh, he, he can make his own mistakes. But when we see our brothers and, and sisters living in sin around us uh, and we choose to do nothing, is that love? Is that biblical love? You know, spiritual ignorance is dangerous. And I want to notice in Hosea chapter 4, this Old Testament prophet, this morning we talked about, you know, singing the Bible books. And so if you're not familiar where Hosea is, it comes right after Daniel. He's actually the first minor prophet listed, Hosea chapter 4. And notice what this prophet of God said in Hosea chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. He says, listen to the word of the Lord, O sons of Israel, for the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land because there is no faithfulness or kindness or knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, deception, murder, stealing and adultery. They employ violence so that bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore, the land mourns and everyone who lives in it languishes along with the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky and also the fish of the sea disappear. Yet let no one find fault and let none offer reproof for your people are like those who contend with the priests. So you will stumble by day and the prophets also will stumble with you by night and I will destroy your mother. Listen to verse six. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you from being my priest. Since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. This is a powerful testimony that God is giving his children of Israel through the prophet Hosea. Basically, my people are being destroyed for a lack of knowledge. You know, God is not giving them a pass because they didn't know, because they were ignorant of his word, but they are being destroyed. You know, we can understand this because when you and I enter into a foreign country or maybe in a different state, you know, and if we violate their laws, we and even if we're ignorant of them, we're still guilty of violating their laws. And that's the same attitude that we must have with the law of Christ. So there may be passages you and I don't understand as well that, that we may be violating, but we are still accountable to it. In the New Testament, Paul, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, starting in verse 3, he gives a reason why uh, we may be ignorant of these things. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 3, Paul says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Paul says that, you know, to some of us, uh, the, the gospel, the great message of the gospel is being veiled 
by the ruler, by the God of this world being Satan. He, he's blinding us. He's making us unbelief so that we might not see the light of the gospel. And the only way to overcome this spiritual uh, ignorance that we may have is to study, right? It's to study spiritual things. You know, we, again, we ask ourselves often, how much Bible study are you and I doing? Uh, We can see, therefore, you know, the urgency of studying the Bible and learning what God has commanded. Like like the noble Bereans in Acts chapter 17, they were examining the scriptures daily. And again, there is a danger of ignorance. Uh, Another lesson we can learn from Heal the, the Bethelite is God's truthfulness is unfailing. You know, not one uh, jot or tittle of this curse uh, uh, did not take uh, its full effect or it did not pass away. Again, Abram, or Abiram, his firstborn, and Segub, his youngest, both died exactly how Joshua, uh, the leader and spokesman of God's people, described. You know, again, think of this. So what if the man who went to rebuild Jericho didn't have any children? Or what if he only had one son? But again, the promises uh, of this uh, curse that Joshua placed upon this land, it was fulfilled to a T. And of course, uh, we understand that in Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, for instance, it says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and, and, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make good of it? God cannot lie. Psalm 19, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. In the law of the Lord is perfect. In the New Testament, when Jesus was preaching on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, and he was speaking about the old law, he said, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Again, uh, uh, maybe your translation says jot or tittle, but basically what he's saying is not until every I is dotted and every T is crossed. And without exception, every prophecy in the Old Testament, every symbol, every promise would be fulfilled up until the cross. And when that law, the law of Moses, would be fulfilled. Again, uh, God is faithful. His truthfulness is unfailing. Matthew chapter 24, uh, verse 35. Again, Jesus said later on in this gospel account, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And history shows over and over again the unbroken fulfillment of the scriptures. Let's think about this. If Joshua's curse was to be fulfilled, and this has nothing to do with uh, salvation or anything about this, but just, you know, if somebody rebuilds this site, Jericho, then these things are going to happen to them. Then how much more than the current prophecies that, that God has given to us? In Revelation chapter 22, verse 12, this is probably one of the last that uh, is mentioned of course, this is the last chapter of the Bible in Revelation chapter 22, verse 12. Notice what Jesus says. He says, behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. 
Jesus saying, is saying he is coming back. He is making a promise that he is coming back. He's coming quickly. Right? It's like a thief in the night. We don't know when that's going to happen, so we must be prepared at all times. His reward is with me, he says. You know What is due to you, uh, you are going to receive to render to every man, all of us. Uh, every single person will be accountable, will stand before the judgment, uh, again, according to what he has done. Again, God's truthfulness is unfailing, and we see that over and over again within the scriptures. Uh, the third lesson we can learn from Heal, uh, the, the Bethelite, is that strong influences are all around. Notice this. Again, when we looked at 1 Kings chapter 16, we noticed that he lived in the days of Ahab, the king. Um, again, Ahab was one of the worst kings around. This administration was extremely evil. He did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And that's mentioned for us directly. What we don't see is that Heel was also from Bethel. He, he was a Bethelite. And if we know our Old Testament history, Bethel was not one of uh, the greater places to grow up in as well. You know, remember uh, as the Israelites uh, received the kingships that they want and Saul was king for 40 years and then David was king for 40 years, and then his son Solomon was king for 40 years, and after that it became the divided kingdoms. Right? Solomon's son uh, Rehoboam, who should have been the new king, uh, the new soul king, uh, his kingdom was split up uh, b- before him. There were 10 tribes uh, that, were, uh, that we refer to as the tribes of Israel or the northern tribes, and they go off with this man Jeroboam, and Rehoboam... Uh, Remains with him, uh, Judah and Benjamin, or the, the tribes that we refer to as Judah or the southern tribes. But Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, had those ten tribes uh, torn away from him, again, and given to this man Jeroboam. The people backed Jeroboam. Uh, Rehoboam, uh, he, he was harsh with the people, and so the people were behind Jeroboam. But Jeroboam was not a Boy Scout by any means. What he did, uh, because he was afraid that the people, if they went back to Jerusalem to worship like they were supposed to, that they would return back to Rehoboam and his kingdom. So what he did is he he set up these two idols, one in Dan, which was all the way to the north of his kingdom, in the northern kingdom, and he set up another one in Bethel, uh, which was the southern part of his kingdom. And so that the people would go to these these idols, these, uh, these calves, and to worship there. Uh, again, this was a place of idolatry, Bethel was. And so uh, this man, you know, he was living uh, with these strong influences all around him. In the days of Ahab, growing up in the city of Bethel, uh, which uh, many were raised to worship falsely to these false idols. And again, we can make that connection as well because we understand that we live in an influential culture, in an influential society, that we are being pulled around from every side. Uh, if you remember in Psalm chapter 1, uh, verses 1 and 2, the psalmist says, you know, don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Don't stand in the path of sinners. Don't sit in the seat of scoffers. And we notice this progression uh, that he's trying to warn us, you know, because you might be walking down the road and something uh, might catch your eye. And so the next time you're going to be standing there, you're going to take more notice. And eventually you're going to be sitting in that uh, spot. Don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Don't stand in the path of sinners. Don't sit in the seat of scoffers. And uh, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse uh, 33, 
Brethren, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. And so we are reminded again from this, this account of, of Heal, the Bethelite, that Christians live in the world. Yes, we live in the world, but we are not of the world. Right? Our citizenship is in heaven, and we must not be taken by these strong influences around us. Uh, the last thing we want to notice in this account is that unbelief is dangerous to entertain. You know, just think of this account once again. When, when Heal attended the funeral of his firstborn son, Abiram, we might have expected him to give up. You know, maybe somebody mentioned to him the curse and why this all came about. But yet he persisted. The curse was effective, yet he went back to work and he lost his youngest child when he set up the city gates, uh, meaning he completed the process of rebuilding the city. And how foolish again are we when we doubt God's word? In Mark chapter 9, verses 17 uh, through 27, I'm going to close with this account here in Mark chapter 9. There was a man who brings his demon-possessed a child to Jesus. And this, this uh, demon-possessed child, he, he's mute. We're told that the, the, the unclean spirit will slam him to the ground, make him foam at the mouth. He grinds his teeth. He straightens out. It even says that he tries to uh, inflict harm on him. He throws him in the water. Uh, he throws him into the fire, trying to destroy him. And the boy had been like this from childhood. But notice in verse 18, again in Mark chapter 9, uh, this man comes to Jesus and he says, Your disciples could not take care of it, so now I'm here to see you. And the disciples' inability to heal the boy had weakened you know, his father's faith in Christ. He went to the disciples of Jesus knowing what Jesus could do, but they could not take care of the problem. And that, of course, you know, gave him a bit of an unbelief of what Jesus could do for him. But notice in verse 22, Jesus says, in verse 22, the man says, It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. He says to Jesus, if you can do anything. But notice verse 23. Notice Jesus' reaction, reaction. Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. And then notice in verse 24, the man says, Jesus, help my unbelief. I do believe. Help my unbelief. And friends, this needs to be our attitude as well. Help my unbelief. Help me grow stronger in the faith. You know, our faith is not perfect. You know, it's something that we continually have to work at. It's not as if, it, you know, you have 100% fully charged faith, and, but it's something that goes up and down, right? And we have to work on it each and every day. Our faith needs to constantly grow, and we do that through studying. We do that through serving others. We do that through doing good deeds. And sometimes we need to help overcome our doubts. Again, unbelief is dangerous to entertain. Well, you know, this evening in preaching on Joshua chapter 6, you know, might have you wondering, you know, why did we spend, uh, why didn't we have, we spend the time speaking uh, or talking about the walls of Jericho? You know, that's the main theme that we see in Joshua chapter 6. But while that's a powerful message of faith and dedication to the Lord, you know, I thought we could gain some valuable insight from this lesser known account of Heal and the curse of Jericho. And again, from this account, 
uh, we can remember that there is danger in ignorance of God's word. Uh, we, we need to continually be studying it and to know it because on the day of judgment, uh, we will not get away from that if we are ignorant of what God has said. God's word is unfailing and true. Right? His promises uh, over and over again, uh, we see come true within scripture. We are in the world, but not of the world. There are strong influences all around us, uh, and we need to understand that. And we also, we need to work at our faith because unbelief, again, it, it's dangerous. We need to continue to work at our faith. And while curses today are most likely coincidence, coincidences, can't say that word this, this evening, uh, but uh, the, this curse here of Jericho proves once and again, again, that God fulfills his promises. This evening, uh, if you're with us this evening and, and you've decided that it, it's time to become a Christian, we would love the opportunity to uh, help you uh, to start your walk off with Christ here this evening. Again, the waters have been prepared. They're ready be- behind me. Uh, if, you, if that is your desire this evening to become a Christian, let that be known. Uh, start this evening with a, a new life and be Become a new creature, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and let's, let's help you do that. Or this evening, if you need the prayers of this congregation, uh, if you need to ask for forgiveness, if there's anything that we can help you this evening spiritually uh, in your walk with Jesus, uh, let us know as together we stand and sing this song of invitation.